This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Uh, Coach Hog here right now for a few minutes, and then we'll be Professor Hog. And then we will be talking about some stories that really have the same theme as that, which I'm going to go into uh, just for a few minutes here with the Coach Hog locker room. There is, as you know, one big story, if you follow golf, going on in the golfing world. And it's um, the same sort of thing that happened once upon a time in the boxing world. You know, the boxing world used to be a big deal. It was the heavyweight champion. It was the guy. And everybody was focused on that particular guy and all the competition, which led up to his prevailing or being beaten. And then we had a bifurcation of boxing. We had some other uh, leagues grow up and uh, become one. You know, we may still have more. I know we had more than one heavyweight champion or middleweight, whatever. And they had these competing leagues. And it was all about money, of course. It was all about TV sponsorships. And and the money was dazzling. I mean, amazing amount of money. Of course, a lot of guys just blew it and went right through it. Uh, Guys uh, like... um, uh, some of, the, some of the more thuggish type guys, if you want to call them that, uh, blew their money pretty quickly. So um, um, the whole idea, though, is to draw the audience in and uh, get the uh, fans all riled up. And now we've got the same thing going on with the battle for the future of golf. And I'm not a golfer. I, I probably could have been once upon a time, but I was more interested in tennis and um, started playing that as vigorously as I could. But uh, golf is a, um, and I could putt real well, by the way. I was uh, putting with Steve Spurrier the day he got the phone call that the leagues had merged. So um, the uh, uh, golf world is now being challenged by a Saudi Arabia-backed tour called LIV. And it's luring some of the big stars away. And I suppose the biggest one of the bunch who's been the center of the controversy has uh, been this uh, fellow Mickelson. Uh, he's uh, been around for a while. He's won a lot of money. He's a left-handed golfer, which is interesting. And he um, has been one of the big tour uh, draws. He's 37 years old. And he is um, revealed that he's going to be bought, if you will, or uh, um, attracted to and start participating in. And the LV, LIV League, which is Saudi Arabia's, and uh, the PGA, of course, said, well, you go. It's uh, you're, you're not coming back, that sort of thing, because the PGA feels threatened by, of course, the Saudi Arabia League. But some of the guys on the golf tour have decided they're not going to go with the Saudi Arabia League because they don't like where the money's coming from. They really feel it's not, you know, copacetic where they get their prize money from. And some of the younger guys have decided I'm not going to bite and get into that. So this has become a really a, quite a quite a business here because the money is coming evidently from something called the uh, 
Saudi public investment fund. And who knows where that money comes from? So the, uh, there've been a lot of fanatic, uh, fanatic, uh, frantic phone calls back and forth among golf agents. And uh, the first tournament uh, just got played. And I want to report on what happened there in just a moment. So you can uh, kind of get this in your mind if you're a golfer and you're into that. Um, the, uh, they've been pretty successful in enticing golfers. And uh, so, um, um, you know, the, the, the PBA is, uh, uh, PGA is not going to go back, uh, go quietly into the good night with this. They're going to, they're going to fight it. And, and, and the, 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 the tournament this weekend has already been resulted in suspensions. And those suspensions have been interesting. It's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And at the PGA Tour, suspended 17 at the Saudi-backed event. And uh, the, the PGA Tour suspended 17 players, including this Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson, who are partic participating there in Hemel Hempston, England, uh, for the first event of the new rival Saudi-backed LIV golf circuit. Um, so these players, the PGA says, have uh, made their choice for their for own financial-based reasons but they can't demand the same PGA Tour membership benefits, considerations, opportunities, and platforms. And so I just wanted to let you know that there is a, a war going on in the golf world, and I suspect uh, it will become much like the boxing world. You'll have two or three simultaneously declared heavyweight champions, and uh, that will be the, the story, and the guys will go to the highest bidder. Now, it could be resolved. This was what happened when um, uh, Spurrier and I were putting golf balls along with George Grandy that day when the phone rang and uh, the call came in that the two leagues, AFL and NFL, had merged. That cost uh, Spurrier quite a bit of money because he was going to be able to bid back and forth. Or they were going to bid back and forth, let's put it this way, for his, his services in the AFL, American Football League, and the National Football League. And they just gotten into this bidding war and had purchased AFL we uh, Ubank from New York Jets and at for four hundred thousand dollars, which was unheard of money then for Joe Namath. So Steve was really sort of thought of as being maybe the first million dollar signee. If um, and word came uh, that those leagues merged, so the AFL NFL merged. Probably Steve Spurrier caused it or helped cause it. But I don't know if if the PGA and the LIV. They, I don't think they're going to merge. Uh, these boxing leagues have not merged, uh, term, whatever that you want to call them, sanction, uh, have not merged. And every once in a while, you have a unification fight uh, of the champion of one league and the champion of the other. But I, I, I suspect that this bifurcation of the golf world is here to stay. And it's all about money, obviously. And it's all about the money that you can make. Uh, and you're making, and Mickelson first came out and said, well, I'm not interested in the money. And now, you know, of course, he plays and and uh, that, that seems to sing a different tune. So we'll keep you posted on that. It's um, something that um, probably going to be that way for quite a while. The other thing I want to talk about on Coach Hall's locker room real quickly here is you've got a fantastic coach here at the University of Florida, which you may not be aware of. But it's probably probably the best coach at the University of Florida. For one thing, he is the coach. He recruits, he coaches, he fine-tunes. Of course, he hires the assistants. But um, um, that is a fellow 
um, that you may not have known about is Michael Holloway. Michael Holloway just did something that's incredibly difficult. He won the national championship in both women's track and men's track simultaneously. And I, I can tell you that having run at one time in the Florida Relays and trained for the quarter mile in the Florida Relays in 1972, which that year I did win, um, is it, 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 it get, shaving off tenths of a, a point at a time, uh, those seconds are precious and you can actually learn how to get faster, but you need good coaching and you need guys who tell you how to rest and when to stretch and uh, what you, you know, when to run hard, when not to run hard, how much to weigh, a whole bit. And this is a real, real delicate science. You're not talking about basically in football, you just want the line to get as big as they can get and the backs as fast as they can get and the receivers as fast as they can get and let it go. But you're talking when you're racing on a track team with people who are as fast as you are. And the only difference between you might be a tenth of a second. And, uh, you know, this is really a fine-tuned art. And uh, uh, Michael Holloway, you need to kind of pay attention to this guy. The university probably needs to pay him more than they pay anybody, except the problem with track, of course, is it doesn't uh, draw the spectators uh, the way football does because it's not violent. Uh, I was told by one of the track coaches one year, when I was out there on the track a lot, that uh, we won't draw the kind of crowds that football draws until we're actually throwing the javelin through people instead of just throwing it out there and letting it stick in the ground. And that's the big draw for football. It's so violent. And believe me, all these peaceful, loving people, that uh, all make, you know, imagine if you will, imagine my rear, look at the football stadiums. You know what the real human being's like. Violence, that's what we're all about. And paradoxically, we're attracted to it. Uh, I, I like to tell the story one time sitting behind a, a lady who had her hair done well. She's in the upper years and she was well-dressed and um, watching the football game and very mannerly and polite. And, and all of a sudden there was a big collision out there and she said, kill him. Um, that's really what we're dealing with. So it's a... Uh, it's an interesting kind of dilemma, but uh, uh, Coach Holloway, pay attention to this guy. He is really something special. And the University of Florida men's and women's track team is really, really something special. So, uh, of course, it's uh, pretty much gone as a season now, but when it rolls around, and the, and, and the reportage here on it locally is not very good. Uh, they let what used to be the Florida Relays when I ran in it. I think it's been now named after some sort of product sponsor, uh, sneaks up on the public and they don't know about it. So you, you need to keep an eye on it as it rolls around next year. So really what we have here is um, uh, uh, in Coach Hall's locker room today is a recognition of the great uh, behavior of our great track coach and, of course, the bifurcation of the golf league. Um, I'm going to switch over now to uh, the investigator, Professor Ward Scott Classroom here. And um, back up a little bit here and rehash for you uh, something that we're going to share with you that nobody else has, that you wouldn't get anywhere else but here. And uh, I, I can tell you this because I think um, we, we are just finely tuned instruments for investigation. 
We have a great research team. I want to really give a shout out to the people who donate to this show because uh, those donations really help us. Right now, we're, 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 we wish we could get a little more. If we, we get a, if we get a program, and there's about 500 bucks involved in this, if we get a program, uh, and the supervisor elections doesn't have it, uh, if we get a particular program, we can really, really ramp it up and check these voter rolls. So uh, later on, I may be uh, you know, talking a little bit more about that. Uh, but uh, we're just beginning to realize that that would be a great asset if we had this program that could um, sort through stuff with algorithms. And, uh, you know, right now it's pretty laborious, not necessarily all that laborious, but slower than it could be. And we pre probably are uh, one of the first in the nation to get a conviction of a, a, a felonious voter. And uh, that is uh, notable. Uh, and I want to go back and trace this story for you up until now, because there's uh, been a development that I think is most interesting. I want to share with the community and then we'll post it on the Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. But let me walk this back. It caused me to go to Ward's Hot Bulletin Board and look back at the interview uh, that a uh, New York Times writer by the name of Nicholas Casey did of me in early 2020. I couldn't believe it. I remember I was called up by the New York Times and, uh, and, and the reporter said to me, hey, we have been told that if we want to know about voting issues in Alachua County. We've got to talk to you. And so will you talk to us? And we said, sure. I said, I'll talk to you. And this fellow, Nicholas Casey and I, and you know how it is, uh, to get one or two sentences, they'll talk to you for an hour. So there was a lot said between me and him. It got reduced to uh, just a few comments in the article, which is posted on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. Um, also, they sent a photographer up from St. Petersburg to photograph me. And um, my golly, she must have taken 100 pictures of me for the New York Times, none of which appeared in the New York Times, but the picture of Bill Cervone did appear. So uh, I wanted to go back and realize that this story now we are in uh, uh, this. What I'm going to read to you is, uh, is dated June 8, 2022. And what I have posted out there that the New York Times wrote is dated March 16, 2020. So we're a good two years down the road on this issue. Now, I just want to uh, go back to the 2020 uh, article. And if you look at the article, which I highly recommend you do if you're interested in this issue, uh, take a look at it, and you'll see that Nicholas Casey, and writing for the New York Times, a liberal publication, is trying his best to make this something uh, that is prejudicial against blacks, and that this whole voting registration uh, argument is um, is is uh, uh, plantation. Mark is a great great supporter of this. Show. I see you, Mark. I see you, buddy. Um, uh, the um, the this whole thing uh, of voter registration has been, of course, going on in our state legislature. And you know the story. Uh, it passed and then it was upheld in the courts. And once it was upheld in the courts, um, uh, Kim Barton put out a message to T.J. Pichet and the staff that it's passed. And then nine days after it passed, T.J. Pichet goes to the jail anyway and signs up guys and 
it ends up about eight out of 10 of those people he signed up are black and they're felons with long records. And we've got all the records here and we've shared them with you. Um, so if you read the New York Times article, it's not the direction the New York Times article writer was trying to take it. However, there were a couple of people who wouldn't let it go that way simply because we were telling the truth. And one of them was Bill Cervone, who was the state attorney at that time, a Republican. And I'm gonna read from the article here. Uh, oh, I'm looking at one of my computers and I'm gonna read this statement to you because it becomes kind of the beginning of this saga. Uh, so uh, Casey writes, it's not a view shared by everyone here, the state attorney among, among them. And the view, of course, that precedes that sentence is the liberal view that, oh, you see prisoners cleaning the streets in front of the university with guards looking over them. That statement is the reason that the knee-jerk reaction of Hutchison and a couple other commissioners without any public input decided to take inmates off the road from mowing the sides of the roads and cleaning them up because of the visual uh, uh, way in which it presented pre presentation of the county to the people driving down the road. Meanwhile, we got stiff with the bill to replace them uh, about 15 bucks an hour for each individual county employee now that goes out there and does it and doesn't do it as well as the prisoners did it. So anyway, she, he, uh, he, he comments about um, Bill, Bill Cervone and he said, Bill Cervone, who has served as the Gainesville region's top prosecutor since he was elected in 2020, said the long, uh, get this now, said the long, tough sentencing he had pursued in his career was central to making the city safe by keeping criminals incarcerated. Now, you wouldn't know that here in this town. You wouldn't know that from the local press, would you? That Bill Cervone was tough on this stuff. He agreed with this stuff. Then he was asked why more black people were arrested than their white counterparts. And this was a leading question by this Nicholas Casey. He was constantly trying to lead us into the answers he wanted. And Cervone said, uh, the elephant in the room that few will discuss in this town is the fact that more minority population members commit criminal activity. There you are, it has nothing to do with some sort of Reconstruction, slavery, vestige, holdout attitude. This is the, these are the facts. These are the guys creating the crime. So what am I supposed to do? Sit back and let them create it? Now, you, you measure that statement. Bill Cervone's no longer in office. Uh, we've got Kramer in there, Brian Kramer, a Republican with a different attitude. And you're going to see that in just a minute. You're going to see that. So uh, then Nicholas Casey interviewed or cites the part, part of what he interviewed. And he says, this is kind of interesting. I was reading back over this. When organizers collected the signatures needed to put a state constitutional amendment on the ballot in 2018, it was viewed in some corners of the county with skepticism. Ward Scott, the host of a conservative podcast, he records from a cattle ranch outside Gainesville. That's true. Uh, I, I, I suppose he was trying to depict me by putting that detail in there, you know, maybe as antithetical to, uh, uh, to black folk, but they don't know. He doesn't know black folk or my neighbors. They have cattle too. Anyway, 
Ward Scott, the host of a conservative podcast he records from a cattle ranch outside Gainesville, said that while he believed felons should be able to vote if they paid their debt to society, the amendment's timing seemed designed to increase liberal turnout in elections. And then I said, and he quoted me, it was an attempt to harness the Democratic voter. And, uh, and then, then he makes note then, Casey, that for the first time since Gainesville's founding, its seven-member city commission has two black women, and he couldn't resist this next line. And Mr. Scott, who is white, <laughs> said there was now an air of racial retribution coming from the city government. And that's true. There is racial retribution coming from the city government. And it's been bought into by this defund the cops. And the irony is that most of, a lot of the cops are black. And <laughs> so when you read these New York Times articles and, and you see these guys who don't live here, but have some sort of ideology or some sort of storyline in their head about what the hell is going on, they try to coax everything you say into that storyline. And I got liberal friends from the college who call me up and say, did you see what New York Times said? And I say to them, yeah, but don't you know that's a liberal publication? And they don't know what I'm talking about. Well, I, I'm telling you what I'm talking about because I was interviewed by them and quoted by them in this article, which now two years later has even more interesting stuff in it than it did then. And I ain't swerved. I ain't changed. I run a podcast from a cattle ranch outside of Gainesville. And I'm a conservative guy if you want to use labels. But actually, in a lot of things, I'm very liberal. I mean, I, come on. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm into the arts, you know. Uh, <laughs> but they'll, they'll try to put you in these boxes. So, you know, we, we reported to you uh, 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 that there had been uh, a, a, uh, a young uh, a man who, who uh, pled. He pled. His name is, let me get him right here. Um, I, think, I think it was Daniel Roberts. And he had a, uh, a record running back to 1990. And they brought him down. He was a white guy. He was white. He was not black. They brought him down from the jug, the big house. And he was smart. We predicted he would probably do this. He was in the big house till 2025. So he came down here, dragged down here by the nape of his neck, if you will, on leg irons, and, and told him, hey, man, you committed three felonies here. I think he was charged with three felonies, perjury and voting and I don't know, something else. Uh, and, 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 they got, and he said, yeah, he said, I did all that. He says, but how about if I get my sentences to run concurrently? I'll just plead I did it. Well, that was very smart because he goes back to the big house, which is more comfortable than the Elijah County Jail. And his extension... His time in the big house is not extended. He gets out in 2025, just as he would have, and his three years or three charges are here for voting irregularities will run concurrently. So he doesn't have, he's not stacking time. So, and he's white. So we don't know. And he's got a record going back to 1990. And, uh, you know, with weapons, okay, with guns, okay. <laughs> so we thought, wow, we better follow up on this discussion. Uh, that we recorded, we, 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 we reported to you that took place in an email chain, the last of which was on uh, January, I mean, on June 7th, when we asked uh, if there was any miscommunication uh, between the state attorney's office and the supervisor of elections office uh, about this issue, because we had noticed 
it, that there was a, a dragging of the feet in uh, getting this thing to the next uh, 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 event, which was the actual trial of these guys and, you know, the depositions and all that. And it wasn't, didn't seem to be happening. So we contacted uh, the supervisor of elections and supervisor of elections and said, and we posted that email, I'm pretty sure. And I shared it with you that the supervisor of elections said, there's no dragging of the feet on my end. So that was June 7th. Well, we decided we bet we'll do a little follow-up on that. Excuse me, I'm just going to sip here. We'll do a little follow-up on that. And so on a carefully crafted public records request, which we sent to independently of each other, so the other one didn't know it, we sent the message to the supervisor of elections that we wanted to see any communication between the supervisor of elections and the state, uh, state attorney's office after uh, um, the uh, situation where the guy had been, uh, you know, pled guilty. Uh, and, 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 and we had asked about why it took so long and this network and other. We wanted to see if there was any communication after that. And we sent it asking the supervisor of elections to show us if there were. And then we sent it to the state attorney's office. To my knowledge, we still don't have a reply to that request from the state attorney's office. We got it almost instantly from the supervisor of elections office. And what I'm going to read to you. And after I read it, we're going to put it up on the screen. And after we put it up on the screen, I may open the phone lines and let you talk to me a little bit about it. I'm very interested in you. And, um, but this is the letter that um, uh, was sent that we didn't know was sent. We didn't know what we'd get. We didn't know if anything had been, any communication had taken place between uh, the supervisor of elections office and the state attorney's office after June 7th. But um, we thought we'd just find out if there had been. And so, um, as I say, almost instantly, we got this back from the supervisor of elections. And I'm going to read it to you. It's dated June 8th, uh, 2022. We know that this was written far into the night by uh, Kim Barton. And I want to tell you that as a professor of rhetoric, uh, this is a very well-written letter. There are no grammatical mistakes in here. And this thing is, if it were submitted to my class, uh, it would be an A. I'm not, I'm just talking about how well-constructed. So what this told me is the author of this letter really cared about this letter. You see, when you see writing that is not sloppy, that is not, you know, rapidly done, then you have to uh, assume that the person didn't care because something you care about, you take great pain with. Truman Capote, who was the, a prince of the language, as you know, uh, was once asked when he was finished revising, and he said he was never finished revising. Somebody just came along finally and tore it out of his hands and demanded that they he give it to him because he was, you know, published his things. So this tells me that the author of this uh, really cared about it. And this is what it says, June 8, 2022. It's written to not Brian Kramer, 
And that's very interesting, my friends. It is not written to Brian Kramer. It is written to Derry Lloyd. Okay? It's written to Derry Lloyd. And we're at the bottom of the hour. I think if I can get uh, production's attention, what we'll do is break right now. I'll create a little bit of cliffhanger for you. And when we come back, I will share this letter with you and go through it and tell you what it means to the Ward Scott Files. Be right back on the Ward Scott Files. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284 3733. Again, Thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Uh, warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. I want to thank uh, you. We are broadcasting from the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law, with 50 years of experience, is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Melton Law won't back down, and they are a full-service legal uh, office. Uh, Crime prevention protects the Ward. Uh, Hog Manly Command Center and uh, contact them today at cpss.net. Well, on June 8, 2022, in the middle of the night, that's not on here, but we know that from the email stamp, uh, Kim Barton wrote a letter, as I'll read it to you, to Derry Lloyd, who's a chief investigator for the 8th Judicial Circuit State Attorney's Office, which is, of course, Brian Kramer. And here before Brian Kramer was Bill Cervone. And I just read you from the New York Times, Bill Savone's attitude about crime. So it says here, Dear Investigator Lloyd, after having time to reflect on our phone conversation today, now let me just stop right there and tell you something, my friends. Phone conversations you can't get because they evaporate, okay? And we were concerned when we asked for anything that might exist after June 7th, that there'd be no paper trail. See, what the state attorney's office likes to do is not email. 
And the reason they don't like emails is because then there's a paper trail. So they like phone conversations because if the Ward Scott files, for example, does a public records request for a phone conversation, it doesn't exist. So this is interesting that Kim Barton is going to repeat what was said in the phone conversation, which tells me right away that she, she, not the state attorney's office, but she, Kim Barton, and the supervisor of elections office is the one who wants this public. Because anybody in public life knows that you are public, that public records you must produce. The phone conversation could not have been produced if it had not been translated into writing. Are you with me? So your astute professor here saw that immediately from that introductory phrase after having time. And after having time tells me that this bothered the writer. Whatever went on in the phone conversation bothered Kim Barton enough that she couldn't get it out of her mind. Now, my, I'm going to tell you, my friends, that is profound right there. That is profound right there. So after having time to reflect on our phone conversation today, so it's got, you know, when you want to memorialize things, you need to write them down as quickly following the event as you can while it's fresh in your mind. So this writer did not wait 24, 48, which would have led to what? Well, I don't remember. You've heard that. That's the classic, classic defense in a courtroom. Well, I don't recall. And anytime you see that, you know that that speaker is looking for a way out. After having time to reflect on our phone conversation today, and then the writer says what it was about regarding the state attorney's stance on investigating illegal voting in Alachua County, I would like to give my observation of such. Wow. 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 And she's given it in writing. Now, the next paragraph gives us a blow-by-blow -blow summary of the phone conversation. You commented to me that you do not have the resources and time needed to investigate voter fraud. I should have said beat for the little algorithm millennials listening. And illegal voting in the 8th Judicial Circuit, which covers several counties. Now, that's an important detail. It covers several counties. Okay? Barton covers a lot to account. You mentioned that you did not have the staff that previous chief investigator Paul Clendenin had, in which you indicated you served as his deputy. In addition, you stressed, boy, that's a great verb. That means this point was really made. You stressed that he had several investigators 
working under his charge, and you said you had none. Wow. 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 You went on to add that you also serve as the public information officer. And you have the responsibility and oversight of the newly created violent crime task force. You continued to stress that you had an insurmountable workload and it was just you with no help. You repeatedly said in our conversation that the state attorney's office prosecutes and is not an investigative agency. I believe under Florida statute 104.421 that referring the illegal voting to the state attorney's office is what the statute requires of me as supervisor of elections. And it has been the practice of the two previous supervisor of elections whom I work for, which spans over 25 years. While I very much sympathize with your circumstance and workload and lack of assistance, I cannot negate my responsibility to address this very critical issue in the manner in which I have yours in service, Kim A. Barton. Wow. been hard on Kim Barton because the facts have made me be hard. I like Kim Barton. Kim Barton, great letter. Great, great letter. And it reveals what the Ward Scott Files has suspected from the day we took this to the state attorney. They didn't want to mess with it. They didn't want to touch it. Now, you understand now why it is so hard to get to the truth about voting? This is just looking behind the curtain here locally. Extrapolate this. We don't want to know. We don't want to see the evil. We don't want to investigate the evil. We don't care about the evil. This doesn't matter to us. Voting doesn't matter to us. The integrity of the institution doesn't matter to us. We're the state attorney's office. We don't do anything that we don't have to do. Doesn't matter to me. And by the way, this is coming from the chief investigator. I think probably if I were the state attorney, I would have a come to Jesus meeting with my chief investigator saying, why did you rat me out? Maybe that explains why we don't have a copy of this letter yet, to my knowledge, 
at the moment of this show, I don't have it, from the state attorney. I mean, this is amazing. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. It never occurred to me to see this. I, some of my, I don't like this black-white stuff. Let me just say that right away. I just don't like it. I think it's a bunch of crap. But let's use the term. Kim Barton is black. Darry Lloyd is black. Some of my black friends looked at this letter and said, do you see the racism in that letter? I said, racism? I thought, my God, man, what are you all telling me? Racism, where do you see racism in the letter? Then they pointed it out to me. Here is a black, Derry Lloyd, male complaining to a black Kim Barton supervisor of elections, really blaming it on his white boss, Brian Crane. It took my black friends to show that to me. And once they showed it to me, I said, wow, See, Darren Lowy never thought this letter would ever be created, I'm sure. Never thought this letter would ever be created. It was a phone conversation. It wasn't supposed to be public. Why do you think Kim Barton made it public? The CYA. Because who's putting the pressure on her? The Ward Scott Files is putting the pressure on her. And she doesn't like it, and she doesn't deserve it, and she says, I don't deserve it. And so she writes this letter. I'm not the problem. Brian Kramer's office is a problem. And here is a black investigator saying what? My white predecessor, Paul Clendenin. That's not in the letter, but everybody knows the gentleman was white. Had loads of help. Not only do I not have any help, they're working me to death. And that jumped off the pages to the black folk who saw this letter. Jumped off the pages. Now, I'm going to put the letter up on the screen if I can get... Um, if we can get uh, my production guys to uh, check it out and put that up on the screen. I'm also going to open the phone line up. If anybody wants to give me a holler. There it is. You can take a look at it. We're gonna post it on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. And it's a smoking gun. State Attorney's Office doesn't want to mess with voter beat. They don't want to allocate the funds for it. 
they don't want to uh, deal with it. Not their job. You see the problem, my friends? Do you see the problem with this country? It's amazing. It's just amazing. Take a look at it. It has what we call parallel grammatical. I'm going to point out some of the grammatical plus. Now, somebody said, well, Kim didn't write it. Hey, Kim has signed it. And if she didn't write every single word of it, she had somebody who dang sure knew what he or she was doing, proofread it. And it's airtight. We have here what we call parallel grammatical structure, which is a tremendous technique and emphasis. Look at the beginning of the paragraph. You commented. You went. You continued. That's bang, bang, bang. They're done in threes. You're taught to do those in threes. Bang, bang, bang. The coordinating conjunctions have commas before them. This is stuff that I'm looking at. It tells me care went into this. Concern went into this. This is not the back of her hand. And I'm the equal opportunity critic and I'm an equal opportunity supporter. That's the way it is. And I think she did one hell of a job on this. Where it goes from here, I have no idea. This is June 8, 2022. I was interviewed by the New York Times in the early part of 2020. In which, ironically, the New York Times writer tried to make it a racial issue. And here, the very racial issue is made by the black investigator through the black supervisor. which I never would have seen, but which my black friends see right away. It's V8 program. The Dairy Lloyd must hate. It was a big public announcement by, um, big public announcement by the state attorney he was going to have this big V8 program, right? I like V8 juice. And if you're a felon and you want to know if you can vote, call us. Well, guess who's going to have to do all that work? Derry Lloyd. I bet he loved that. I bet he absolutely loved it. Oh, man, the guy just gave me another job. And I don't care anything about voter beat. Nothing. This, this office doesn't care about voter beat. This is the, pr this is the truth here. All the V8 PR crap is just PR crap. This is the truth. We don't care about it. We don't have the resources for it. We don't give a damn about it. But the public position is, you call us up by God and we'll tell you whether you can or not. I always smell the rat. That never passed a smell test with me, ever. Ever. So who's doing all the investigating? We're doing all the investigating. 
if we had another 500 bucks or so, we could have a heck of a program uh, that would absolutely belch these things out. Why didn't supervisor elections? How come supervisor didn't spend Zuckerbucks on it? I don't know. How come state attorney's office doesn't have it? I don't know. Doesn't care, I guess. I'm taking, I'm taking this letter at face value. You commented to me that you do not have the resources and time needed to investigate voter beep and illegal voting in the 8th Judicial Circuit, which covers several counties. Man, that needs to be in neon lights because his boss says you do. But his boss ain't giving him the resources to do and by the way, that's a Republican state attorney, and we got a Republican governor who has a position antithetical to the state attorney. The governor has put, and the legislature has put in an election integrity commission and funded it. And we got a Republican state attorney saying, I ain't, I ain't interested in it. I don't know if the phone line's open or not. I thought it was going to open up. Maybe it didn't. We'll open it up for a second. I think we're getting ready to. Somebody wants to holler at me. Well, we're working on rebooting of it in some sort. Uh, I can take a Facebook question here. Let me see what we got. Well, Mark, the governor has set it up on a state level. And in effect, the governor is, what this tells us, Mark, good question. What this tells the Ward Scott Files is do not bother with the state attorney. The information that you find, report it directly to the governor's office. And of course, if we report it to the governor's office, instead of the state attorney, we'll report it with the footnote that we can't report it to the state attorney because the state attorney is on record as not Caring about it. What do you mean he's on record? Well, we'll point to the June 8 letter. So, all right, then it looks like we're going to get that hooked up. So, um, you know, I have to take some other approaches here. So all these, all these letters and all are out, going to be out on the uh, board's hot bulletin board. Uh, you may lift them off of that, copy them, send them where you want to send them. Uh, that's why we put them out there. We put them out there. It's public. So, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll consider that your business. I know that somebody has taken the arbitration agreement and put it out uh, to, to uh Public view, and by the way, that's another shoe that is going to drop uh, very soon. I think you're going to have your mind's going to be blown uh, when we're able to really go to the next level of that investigation. Uh, you're going to find um, you're going to find some things that are because the biggest question I get is who's responsible for the SWAT team. 
And, and as I say, I think soon, um, I'll be doing production with that phone line. Anything going on there? Okay, some technical thing going on. Oh, you know, it's always, uh, that's all right. It's okay. I'll take a look at what you sent me in here. Um, but anyway, my friends, um, I'm just talking about what we know here. And the reason the program would be uh, interesting in talking to my computer guys is that we could really do a statewide search real uh, uh, quickly, very quickly, and um, find a lot of things. But then you gotta, you got to consider whether or not the state attorneys are going to do anything with it. There's a state attorney. This is not the only state attorney, by the way, saying, I don't want to mess with it. We've got a story. Let me pull it up here. Uh, that is from uh, uh, sent to me yesterday. I'll find it here in just a second. Um, Well, yeah, here we are. This is a story here that this is a story out on Yahoo News that the Lake County State Attorney's Office declines to prosecute the Lake County sex offenders who voted in 2020. Now, the, 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 state, the, the, the sex offenders, they, they, you can't register them no matter how. I mean, there's no restitution they can pay. There's no nothing they can do to uh, clean their slate. And and um, uh, this is uh, this is of course commented on in Yahoo News. I'll read it to you. Uh, this week, the Fifth Circuit State Attorney's Office completed its investigation into voter fraud. Beep. I better say beep. In Lake County during the 2020 general election, the investigation began after Gainesville-based database researcher Mark Glazer cross-checked Florida voter lists against the Florida Department of Law Enforcement's public Florida sexual offenders database. See, that, that could be much bigger. You know, we had a different program, but through his research, he found that six registered sex offenders in Lake County cast ballots. And uh, the state attorney decided there, I'm, I'm not going to mess with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of interested in this because not just not just on the local level, but as I say, add all this up and to the national level. I mean, this is just one little pocket here, one little pocket there. And how many counties are there? And how many supervisors are there? And how many district attorneys are there? They just don't want to, they just don't want to get into it. So um, that's Lake County. And, 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 and by the way, Lake County never would have found this stuff. And by the way, the jail registrants, I don't know, really. We've thought about this and speculated. I, I guess they thought that they would uh, um, never get caught, I guess. Or who'd care? Because this has always been the case, though. When a provisional ballot is cast, you know, they send a postcard to the place from which it was sent. And the postcard... Post card doesn't come back, they consider their address to be legitimate. So the vote counts. That, that, that's, that's always been ridiculous to me. So it's, it's a matter of, um, 
what do you want to say, priority? So if you look at it from the Democrat point of view, they must have known this. They must have known this. Um, it's not going to be a priority to go, hey, if we do what we do, it's not going to be a priority for anybody to go look and find it. I mean, that's certainly the case I just, you know, in, uh, I decided for you for the public record here. And, and the issue here is, I'll bet you the state attorney never thought in his wildest dreams that this show today would occur. What do you think? Any comments on Facebook? We'll get this line worked up. We'll get it working. See Tim Martin just checked in. A lot of stuff we... Um, you'd probably be interested in, Tim. So we got a couple of big stories going on here. This one, and of course, uh, we'll be bringing you up the day, keeping you involved with what we know, but it's all of which we can't share right now with the Drotros, Riles versus Boss Hart. And the biggest question, who set the spot? And we will, in due time, I'm pretty sure, give you the answer. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center. The Cattle Ranch, a conservative Ward Scott podcast host. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.